Thanks, Jimmy. All right. Okay, we got a really great show today. One of my very favorite people in the whole world is Carlos Dominguez. And Carlos is joining us today as our special guest. So today is going to be a guest show, which are always a ton of fun. We never know exactly where it's going to go. Uh, never really know what we're going to talk about. I'll throw some topics out, but we'll see where we go from there. Um, I'll talk a little bit about Carlos for a second. So Carlos is one of the earliest employees of Cisco, uh, worked very closely with John Chambers for many, many years and, and knows John personally and very well uh, still today. Uh, Carlos is an early investor in Sprinkler, uh, was an early, um, I guess, kind of employee, but really you know, kind of as president was trying, trying to help drive the company and then is now on the board of Sprinkler, and I'll let him talk about that uh, journey for a minute or two as well. Uh, well, The way I met Carlos is uh, we actually did a strategic deal with Sprinkler when I was at Microsoft and got Sprinkler to adopt the Azure platform, and um, which was really helpful because at the time we were, well, we still are, uh, we were a very large Sprinkler customer, and we were running all these tours through our customer experience center. And at that moment in Sprinkler's history, they were an AWS backend and a Chrome frontend. And so, so we would be running all these people through the Microsoft Customer Experience Center, uh, showing us proudly using Google Chrome uh, with an Amazon backend on the cloud. And at some point, that sort of started to filter through the organization. And we started getting like, let's just call it feedback, uh, that perhaps that wasn't what we really wanted to do. Maybe we'd be nice to show it in our, our own browser, perhaps, because uh, uh, we happen to make one, and potentially the cloud that we run. And so that's what Carlos helped make happen. Uh, it led to a really great relationship in that um, that time and continues to be a great relationship today. And it was really fun meeting Carlos at the time. At first, I really didn't know what to make of him. He seemed almost like um, just too energetic, just like, come on, come on. But he's like that all the time. He's just, that's the way he is. <laughs> so I've come, come to know and love him. So Carlos, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Grad. I, hey, I, just a quick question. I heard this is being recorded because you said so many nice things about me. I want to make sure my wife kind of hears it uh that you part know. was not just as a one time only unfortunately <laughs> just the audience hears it and then it disappears i'm sorry about that but i'm tell happy to write a note tell me where to send the check buddy <laughs> well it's it's a look it, it's a privilege to uh to join you here the fact that you do this daily man blows my mind and uh how many shows have you done this will be 43 44 somewhere in that zone you know, actually cow i I made it before your 50th show. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I was talking to someone the other day that uh, yesterday actually I was talking to someone about it and they said, I said, you know, it's really had a really interesting emotional impact on me, which is knowing I've got to be sort of on every day for about a half an hour because it's not a massive time commitment, but just that I have to kind of be on for a half hour every day. It's, it's got this, um, I don't know, it forces you to kind of get your act together every day. And it's been, I think, a really nice sort of metronome like randy could uh, not even be putting these up and uh you know we, i wouldn't i would still get the benefit from it so it's look, great at, look at this man it, it sounds like it sounds like therapy man i you know i, 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 should, totally I should do this instead of my therapist you know well, it's a lot cheaper i'll tell you that <laughs> So, um, so uh, we've we've had a, a pretty interesting journey together you know one thing one story yeah. i do tell people is you know i was uh, after I'd left, I decided to leave Microsoft and moved to New York. I was happily on my way to another very large tech company. And, you know, we had a, a wonderful dinner at the Oyster Bar restaurant in Grand cool Central. Place. 
Yeah. Cool place. And uh, he gave me a really beautiful bottle of wine. And uh, next thing I know, I'm getting phone calls from John Chambers asking me to join Sprinkler <laughs> instead. And it went to some very awkward moments, by the way, with that other tech company. But it was it was a great it was a great decision. It's been a crazy ride the last three years. Um, but I owe you a lot for for doing that for me and and, and making that sort of part of my life sort of happen because I I can't imagine what would have happened in my life otherwise. So I owe you well, a big before, great debt. Bef- before you go on too much further, I, I want to tell you there's a mutual admiration society here. And, and I think you're, you're one of the nicest, smartest dudes I know. I always learn when I hang out with you. And uh, you're just generally a great human being. And I so appreciate you every day, Greg. So well, I appreciate you for that. your friendship more than anything else. I appreciate that. Well, good news. I am recording that part. So I'll be <laughs> doing that on my business card. I don't have that much power influence anymore. It's no big deal. <laughs> oh, so, so, you know, one of the things I was, um, I'm, one of the things that's fascinating about any kind of company in the new, in a new space, you know, Sprinkler is now getting to be pretty big. You know, we're, we're over 400 million as an ARR run rate, which is pretty amazing. Um, that's sort of the official number we've been sharing with people. Um, we, you know, but, uh, but, you know, getting bigger all the time. Right. And uh, I think the thing that's interesting though, is we're still early in our journey. And uh, there's a book that's become quite influential in Silicon Valley called Play Bigger. I, I've talked about it a bit. I'm, I'm sure you've read it, right, Carlos? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think potentially Play Bigger may be having maybe a, you know, there's always an unintended consequence that happens. Like everyone, as a result of the book Play Bigger, is trying to, quotation marks, create a category. Yep. And I've talked to friends and different people who are all kind of coming up with their own categories now. And the, the irony or the, the fact of the matter is you can't create a category unless other people agree. And so when they created SUVs as a category, people agreed, it became a category. When Chrysler came out with the minivan, people agreed, minivans became a category. Honda recently came out with something called the CUV. Not a category because <laughs> nobody is saying that. No yeah. one said, I'm going to go buy a CUV. And that's it's not, not going to happen. I mean, I, I applaud the initiative, but just it's not going to happen. And so, you know, so it's like, what are we trying to do? Now, what's I think interesting about Sprinkler is we're actually trying to redefine a category. And uh, I don't know where that sort of pops up and play bigger because I don't really think it's sort of part of that sort of story. But, you know, there's a category out there called CXM or Customer Experience Management, which is, you know, part of the title of this show. Uh, it has been defined by some companies and I think popularly viewed as something about collecting customer feedback. Uh, so and, and Forrester would actually call that CFM, Customer Feedback Management. And I think the challenge when you're just collecting customer feedback is it's really just customer experience reporting. You're losing the M. The M in CXM is very important, which is someone's having a bad experience or a good one. You've got to deal with that right away. You've got to respond to it, amplify it, you know, be part of it. So it's the, the ability to respond within the motion of listening, I think, that's really critical. Um, so this, I think, is a major challenge. So to redefine something, I think, is even harder in some ways than creating something new. And I'd just love to get your perspective on it because I know you're going to have some sure. deep insights on it. And just think a little bit about you know, how we're going to go about this and how we're doing it and what thought, thoughts you have around what we're doing yeah. well and where we can work harder to do it better. Well, there's a, there's a there's a lot there to unpack, uh, Grad, and uh, so let let me just take it. So the, just the first thing on category, the, the, 
you know, it's really interesting. If you're going to create a new category, not only do people need to agree with it, but you need to have a ton of money, right? Yeah. Because category yeah. creation takes, yeah. you know, a ton of money, it, you know, and it's really difficult. It's so much easier to say, hey, you know, company XYZ and you go, yeah, says we're just like that, except this is how we're different. I mean, that's easy. Right. But to come in and attack something that people are thinking about it through a different lens, that's a shift in how people perceive things. And not only do you need to establish that, but, you know, people have to see the value wanting to do that. And, you know, there's been there's been a lot of shifts in the past on, you know, categories being created. I, I mean, the, in most recent history, the one I, I kind of look at. Right, electric cars were around, but Tesla mm. kind of really put the uh, you know yeah. put the stake in the ground. Great right, example. and look at their valuation today compared to you know General Motors, Ford, and every other uh, automaker and the and the company. They're just blowing everything away, and well, that's a new category. That? that how do you think they did that? Because you're right, electric cars have been around since the seventies, forever. Well, they but made what, electric what cars. What did Tesla cool? do differently that made them seem suddenly inevitable and less of a, a side show? Well, they made it, they made it cool, right? They, they didn't they, think of all the electric cars that went before them, right? They were all little, you know, electric vehicles with no sex appeal, no mm -hmm. pizzazz. They were, they were, they were basically appealing more to the tree huggers, right? You know, mm -hmm. I, 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 you know, I, I want to, I want to be green and, and that, and Tesla's approach was totally different. Their first car was a roadster, right? right? A sports right. car. Then they came out with the Model S, Right. Which basically you can argue if you hear Elon approach it, you know, he built a new category, but he wasn't building an electric car uh, category. What he said, he's building a computer that has wheels. Mm. Right. His whole approach from defining that category was looking at it more from a technolo technological uh, computer point of view. Think of that large screen that you've got there. Yeah. Think of all the display things that they that you can do. Think of all the cool stuff where it plays songs, the doors open and close, the lights blink and it's playing. I mean, you know, that's nothing more than, you know, uh, really taking the automobile, which does transport you, but he redefined that to make it cool, right? And And subsequent to that, you know, he's thinking, you know, the other model came out that was more affordable. Now he's got a sports car coming out. He's trying to do it with trucks, you know, and you know, very big pickup trucks and stuff. So he's redefining, you know, everything. And 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 the power of that is you've got an incredible marketeer in in Elon that can able to you know, that has been able to build that category. So so you know, it takes it takes a whole bunch of stuff to to be able to do that. So let's bring it back. To what I got you're a funny story about. about Tesla. I got a funny story about Tesla, though. I don't know if you know this or not, but so the first model was the S, right? And then they came out with. Well, he had a Roadster um, first. Right, 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 right. Right, Roadster was first, but then when he started like producing automobiles at scale, right, there was the S, right, and then there was the X, right, mm -hmm. and then there was the Y, right, and then then there was there was he wanted to have an E. Um, but he, he was blocked from using E as a model number because of Mercedes, because the E class in Mercedes is right. a pretty well-known brand. And I think so. Then he called it three model three. And so, because what he wanted to do is he wanted his lineup to be S E X Y. <laughs> it's a true story. And so he went with the three. So it's kind of like hacker is the hacker E. So, but the, the Tesla model line is sexy. 
<laughs> awesome. Well, they are. They're they're unusual cars. I mean, it's you so can't cool. deny it. But you know, he took on. You know, I I think what he took on was uh, a much bigger problem than anybody. Not only by the automobile and the marketplace, but you know, think of the charging station thing, mm. right? He's selling the cars in a mall. Mm. You know, he's he he kind of did everything that you you know. I I kind of laugh at times, Greg, and I think about you know being an investor, right, and getting a pitch from Elon and what he you know this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build an electric car. I'm going to sell in a mall. You know, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to build these, you know, stations all around the country. I, I mean, I, I don't know many people who would probably give him money. I sure as hell wouldn't. Yeah. You know, because yeah. they're sure so far Good. out yeah. there. You go do that. <laughs> yeah, you go do Good luck. Call me. Call me someday, you know. And uh, yeah. so, so, but let's bring it back to, you know, what, what the show is and, and what you asked me. And, and experience management is not a new concept, as you so clearly pointed out. You know, th- think about it. You know, if, if you talk to a CEO and you ask a CEO, hey, do you want to deliver great experiences or do you want to deliver bad experience to your clients? Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody that'd say, I right. want to deliver a bad experience, right. right? Everyone would say, we want to deliver a good experience. Great. So what does it take to deliver a good experience, right? And that is really, really, really hard to do. And, you know, that means that I, as a customer, no matter, you know, in most corporations, I, I, I kind of think about them as an elephant, Right. You know, I can come in and grab the tail of the elephant or come in a different way and grab an ear or the trunk or a leg or anything else. And they don't know who I am. Right. And and what becomes exceptionally interesting is that in some cases, maybe on the marketing side and sales, they do a really good job. And when I've got a problem and I reach out to them, they do a really terrible job. And that whole of that elephant and all the experience is really what defines how I feel, not only perception, but emotionally about a company. And that's, you know, bringing it back to Tesla, Tesla has, has won the emotional, you know, uh, EQ of, of their, their customers. And I'll give you a really, really simple example. Uh, a couple of years ago, we, and I, I shared this with you at another time, I was in the market of buying a mattress, something very simple. And I go on the website, I Google, and I ordered a mattress from a company, which remained nameless. And they delivered the mattress. You know, it was easy to buy. They delivered the mattress immediately. As a matter of fact, I love the mattress. I sleep like a baby every night because the mattress is so really comfortable. Awesome. But what's angering me is multiple times a week, no matter how hard I try to stop it, I get emails telling me, hey, you know, you want to buy a mattress? You want to buy a mattress? You want to buy a mattress? And and what it has shown me or, or what the, it's made me feel is, you idiot, I bought your darn mattress. I love your mattress. Why do you continue to send me emails to buy your mattress? Right? You don't know me. You know, so, so at that, you know, kind of very basic instinct level, it's evoking anger in me. Right? And I don't want – and frankly – I probably, if I ever bought another mattress, as much as I love this particular mattress in the mattress company, I probably wouldn't do it because I'm so annoyed with all the messages. I keep on subscribing and I, and I still get those darn messages, right? So they're not respecting my desires. They're not respecting my needs, even though they produce a product that I love. So, so you got to kind of take a step back and go, why is that? I know, I know this mattress company doesn't want to make me feel the way I feel, but why, why can't they fix it? 
right? Why? And by the way, why are they wasting money in marketing to me where I would be happy to be a proponent and an advocate for their brand because I love their brand, but the fact that they don't, they're doing all this marketing stuff is just annoying the crap out of me. So, so if you kind of start breaking it down, it's really quite simple. The problem is simple. The fix is very complicated, right? The problem is that within an organization, there are all these disparate functions that each go out for the needs of their business. They go out, they buy whatever technology they need. So in, in the customer care, they do call center technology for phone calls and, you know, they may do chat, they may do other things. If you're in the marketing side, you're doing email and you put the systems in there, Marketo and all these other things to do mail, email marketing. You know, if you're in, in, in PRAR, you're, you're kind of looking at other systems, right? If you're in inside sales, it might be a CRM, but you get it. There's a, a system, but none of the systems talk to each other. So yeah. the fact that I bought it through a marketing campaign, right? And I have now these people that are inside sales with a system that's not tied and says, Carlos is already a customer, take them off the list. They keep doing that. So it's not an, an intentional sort of thing. It's something that, you know, has just evolved. And, and, you know, I sit with many CEOs and, you know, I ask them, do you know what system you have? They have no idea. Right. And one of the one of the things that you're very well aware of, and you probably know this better than I, is when we go into a company, one of the first things we do because of the platform that we offer is we eliminate a ton of independent systems that is trapping data that nobody's looking at. Right. What's the average, Greg? You probably know this number better than I, but I, isn't it 20 plus systems on average? Uh, on average, a typical marketing department has more than 70 systems. Although I've been to customers where I'll say that and they'll say, we aspire to get down to 70 systems. There are examples <laughs> of, of large multinational companies having hundreds of systems. Um, and, you know, Sprinkler has 17 core functions it can replace. So theoretically, at a minimum, there are 17 point solutions that can be wound into Sprinkler. But uh, what you typically see in a company is they'll have even in a single function, they'll have multiple point solutions, either because they're different geographies or for some reason they're using part of one for one part of the function and part of one for the other part of the function. Like uh, often you'll see in, so in social advertising, they'll use one to place it and one to report it, which I blows yeah. my mind, but they'll do that. So, so yeah, you see uh, an average of 70. The only um, department that's got more point solutions, interestingly, is HR. Yeah, 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 it's they've true. Got a and that's similar where, problem in HR, but uh, but they've and, and you think about HR, they've got so many different things they're trying to land in terms of employee benefits and all that kind of stuff. So they they have a big big problem in HR as well. But you know, Workday's working on that, and so they've right. I'm sure they'll fix that problem. Uh, we're we're working on the front office one, which is you know a stickier one in some ways because um, the marketing best practice and sort of mindset has been to buy a tool to solve the problem you have. You know, got a problem, buy a tool, buy a problem, buy a tool. And that's how it happens. Well, and, 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 you know, you bring up, you bring up the really good point. So, so, you know, first thing is all this independence of data and systems that are not connected and somehow you need to, you know, kind of create a universal data set in view of the customer that's shared across, you know, an entire company. And, and that's not an easy task. Uh, and, you know, just to add a little bit more insult to injury for those that are trying to solve these problems, uh, you know, as you know, uh, our world over the last 15, 20 years with the advent of all the social and modern channels, the number of channels that are all different 
uh, have have gone and have come into the marketplace and you know the customers and, and the consumers are deciding how I want to engage with a brand they you know the brand doesn't decide so you know right now it, it's almost kind of comical uh, that I would come in on a Twitter you know complaining that I need help and I, I'll nameless there's a there's a um, there's a cable company that I am a subscriber I tweeted something because one of my channels wasn't working I said I need help and they tweet me back and said, "Hey, uh, yeah, call call this number and we'll we'll talk to you." And then I dial the number and there's a 20 minute wait and I have to punch in like seven different numbers to try to get to the right place. And this whole notion of I chose the channel of Twitter. Why did they move me off of it? Right mm-hmm. instead of supporting me, you know, in channel. So the world has gotten so much more complex. And we typically um, default, and these companies default to whatever channels they're the most comfortable with, instead of embracing the channel in which you know the customer came in on. And again, for this particular company, moving me to voice was the way to do it. And by the way, when you really go deeper on that, authentication was really the reason, right? They needed to authenticate who I was, and the only way they knew how to do it was to get me on the phone ask me a bunch of personal questions and say, oh yeah, this guy is, you know, who he says he is, right? But that could be done in channel too, if you just kind of look at it through that lens. Well, Sprinkler even has that functionality, right? That we, in Sprinkler, yeah. we now have the ability to take people uh, from a public social conversation, uh, authenticate them and move them into a web chat with all of the information that was in the public sphere pulled into the private web chat, fully authenticated against their account. That's actually blowing up around the world. Everyone loves that, especially the banks, the telecom companies. Um, But you're right. It's a little bit like if I were to call you and you're like, Brad, great. Thanks for calling. I'm like, yeah, Carlos thought we could catch up. You're like, you know, that'd be great. You know, um, do you mind sending me a fax? (laughs) Like I'm kind of more comfortable with fax communication. And I'm like, um, all right, I guess so. Okay. (laughs) It's kind of weird. Right. And this is, this, uh, this is a big, 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 big issue. So we're, we're kind of running a little, uh, tight on time and I want to continue this conversation with you, but I love the way you're defining it. So let's just, let's just wrap it with sort of a pointed thing around, you know, Sprinkler's got this great vision. Um, not only is it a vision, it's actually something we've implemented with some of the world's largest companies. Very exciting. But um, but what do you think the key to getting people to say that thing that Sprinkler's doing, that's really what CXM is? What's your key advice there? You know, it's it's evolutionary. I I, you know, with these things, you can't go out and start doing, you know, chest beating and going like, oh, we're, you know, we're the CXM company. What you have to do is you gotta go and roll your sleeves up and you got to do the work. You got to do the work and work with companies that are knowledgeable, that have the same uh, kind of aspirational goals that you do. And they maybe they don't know how to do it, you know, uh, but they do know they want to do it. And we are, we have a number of customers that are, I think, extremely capable, very knowledgeable and actually make us better uh, through their knowledge and, and testing and pushing us to develop new features. But my whole notion in this category or building this is you got to kind of show people through a handful of clients what the art of the possible is. And once you do that, then you can come out and say to people, look at what this customer is doing. And we've got a lot of great examples, Grad, 
of customers doing extremely innovative things, whether it's around you know, new world or next generation modern marketing or, you know, how to do modern care or, you know, modern advertising, all these things. We've got some really great Mm. examples. And the way to do it is not try to build this all at once, but take it in pieces, have the wins, right? Do the hard work and heavy lifting of doing it in a stealth mode. And once it's done, showing people what the art of the possible. And that's that's kind of in stages. And once you've done it in care, and once you've done it in marketing, and once you've done it in PR and AR, and once you've done it in advertising and research and all of these places to come back and say, hey, by the way, right, instead of looking at this individually, look at what happens when you can combine this in a way that you know, everyone's looking at the same data. Everyone knows the customer, regardless of the way they enter and look at what you can do. And the example I've seen you talk about, and I've learned a lot is how do you combine when someone calls you for a problem? If you know who they are, how do you take marketing to create a journey to give them a next best offer based on who they are and what they would be interested in? That's powerful. That's the next generation, right? It's, 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 you know, best time to sell somebody something is when they're calling you for help, not when you're getting an email or, or getting hit on a, on a, on a modern channel, right? right. And, it's, and it's, that's where the power gets unlocked. Yeah. Especially because they're already a customer. They, they already decided right. to buy your product. You solve their problem and it's easy to sell them more. Raji has been saying for years that care should be the new marketing, but Corporate structures make that challenging. We have so much to talk about here, Carlos. Okay, so <laughs> I want to have you back on. This has been great. So I, we're going to wrap today because we try to keep these things like under half an hour. But um, but this has been fantastic. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It was great. And everybody, if you uh, want to follow Carlos, Carlos, do you have like a Twitter feed or yes. a, what's your what's your public public persona? Carlos Dominguez at, at Twitter. It's pretty simple. All and Greg, right. thank you. I, I love what you do. I, I'm, I, look, I'll, I'll be back uh, anytime you want me. Thank you so much. All right. Well, for the CXM experience, this is Grad Khan, and I'll see you next time.